Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 42 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady, and with me, as always, my co-host, J.A., Justin Ayers. What's up, dude? How you doing today? I'm good, dude. Yes, it's... Look, after baseball season ends, after the World Series ends, it's, it's going to be a lot of coming home. Uh, you're leaving in the morning, and it's dark. You're going to come home, and it's dark. It's There's no baseball on during the middle of the week, so you have to figure out what you're going to fill your time with if you're not a football fan, so... It's not my favorite time of the year, but the hot stove is about to kick up, baby. We're about to warm our hands around the fire that is the MLB hot stove. Uh, we already had a couple, you know, minor to semi-minor moves here, but we have a lot of uh, free agency stuff to talk about. And, and you know, we're going we're gonna to clean up game six of the World Series. So if you're a Phillies fan, I'm sorry. We just, look, we just got to get it out of the way. Rip the Band-Aid. Yeah, yeah there's a, a whole lot about to happen here soon, you know. Teams get that little break to kind of gather themselves again. And then as soon as one of those dominoes falls, you, you know, a lot more is coming. But you got to give a shout out to you first because you called it, man. You went Astros and six. You were right. I was not right. So tip <laughs> the old cap there to you, J.A. You, even though I don't believe you had any of those teams in the World Series, you called the World Series right. So we'll give you that. I appreciate the props. Yes, uh, you know, I I wish I had this prediction like before the playoffs started when we had that big bracket made and we had all the logos and damn, how sick would that have been? But to call it right before the World Series, it's a it's a minor victory, but it's a victory nonetheless. So I, I appreciate the the credit there. You had Phillies in seven. We were we were close. The the Phillies could have done it in seven, dude. So d- I wouldn't beat yourself up too bad about it. Um, if the bats would have came alive, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, it's. It's just it's just nice to finally win one to quote Kevin Malone. Yeah, I was uh, I was definitely been losing some sleep over it, but I'll I'll get by somehow. So yeah, you know, you win some, you lose some. Look, I mean, I I want to get I want to give a shout out to Brian's recording. If you're watching this on video, check us out on Breaking Bats Pod YouTube channel. Uh, for Brian, like during the course of the of the season when he was playing in Japan, he would go to these exorbitant hotels, these cool backdrops with like some cool wood and. And just like, it, it was a fun thing to kind of follow when Brian was on the road this season. But, you know, Brian's back at his house. He's got the cool backdrop there. But I don't know. I'm a fan of this one today. You, you got you got the fish hanging on the wall. I know it's not your house. But, I mean, that's that's top two backdrop, and it ain't two. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fish in here. There's a lot of good stuff. My, my, my in-laws do. Uh, my in-laws, my father-in-law, my both of my brothers in-laws do a uh, a whole lot of fishing a whole lot of serious fishing some trophy fishing as you can see our, our you know fans of the stepbrothers movie will understand that but uh yeah so we're getting some work done at my house for me so we crashed here for the past two nights while it's going on so this is my backdrop for tonight but uh i love this place it's a great place we're on the water can't beat it but yeah, man. This uh, for this episode, I'm I'm gifting you this this backdrop. I it's it's a it's a treat 
to to be across the the Zoom thing with this. So I appreciate that. Are are so they're big fishermen. Are you are you a big fisherman? Or are you like uh are you are you into that kind of stuff? I mean, I'd say I'm a a casual fisherman. I don't my wife's younger brother is that's like his life. It's all he does is fish, loves to fish. It's amazing. Like I don't I like fishing, it's relaxing, I enjoy catching fish. He's just like can do it all day, every day nothing else but they they'll take their boat out to like uh the oil rigs in louisiana and stuff fish for legit tuna out there and like stay overnight and stuff like they're they're crazy but um yeah it's serious i don't do that that doesn't sound <laughs> very appealing to me but you know if we're hanging out somewhere close to here i'll definitely do some fishing yeah because i feel like if, if they're doing that kind of fishing that's the stuff where it's like we'll meet you at the docks at 4 a.m and it's like i no, I like fishing, but I don't like getting up that early. I feel like that's always the case with these these, these serious anglers. Yeah, they love it. But, dude, they I mean, they bring back, you know, some of those tunas or whatever they catch. Dude, and it's, I mean, it's good stuff. So, you know, getting some food out of it, too. It's not just catching fish, throwing it back. So, they, uh, I'll eat it. Whatever they bring back to cook, I'll definitely eat. <laughs> no doubt, dude. Well, yeah, this is cool. Uh, you know, maybe make it, make a guest appearance back there at some point. Uh, just show up randomly with like your laptop and just be like, Hey guys, uh, it's basement, basement free for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just mix it up. Yep. This was, uh, <laughs> this was my spot during the, the shutdown of COVID because my, me and my wife didn't have our house yet. So we were staying with them when everything, you know, the world stopped. So I was down here looking at these fish playing call of duty for a while while the baseball was stopped. Let's, uh, who's this, who's this episode of all this fish talk sponsored by? No, I think, I think people are enjoying the fish talk. Let's not sell the fish <laughs> talk short. Um, this episode is brought to you by your friends at Psalm sleep though. Uh, if you're maybe getting up for one of those 4am, you know, offshore fishing excursions probably help you out. Uh, so if you're having trouble getting enough sleep at night, Psalm sleep has you covered the scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body, like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery and it has helped people everywhere. Take their game to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving, just 30 minutes before you go to bed and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not Psalm sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Go to getsom.com, click shop, and enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S, at checkout for 10% off of your entire order of Psalm Sleep. All right, we teased it. We're going to clean up the World Series. Uh, the Astros won. So the Houston Astros on Saturday night, they defeated the Philadelphia Phillies 4-1. to This was their second World Series title in franchise history. And a little fun fact for you, they became the first team to clinch at home since the 2013 Boston Red Sox, which, good God, we had to wait like a decade for that. It's always, always been on the road, which is just crazy to think about. But... If we want to talk about game six, the big story I think from this game was Zach Wheeler getting the early hook, five and a third innings. They bring in Alvarado. He gives up the go-ahead three-run home run to Jordan Alvarez, and that was pretty much it. Um, so I, I was thinking back, because when you think World Series, you, you think about an early exit from a starting pitcher that's dealing. I'm going to give some numbers for you, and I want you to tell me if I'm if I'm off base, if I'm on the right track. So 2020, Wheeler went five and a third, two runs, and five Ks. 2020 game six, Blake Snell, five and a third, one run, nine Ks. Am I reading too much into this? Am I drawing like a weird connection here? Like, you know, do I, should people have a legit gripe that Wheeler got the early hook in a game like this? I think it's hard to not go there for people who really follow baseball, right? I mean, being there with the Rays that year, Blake 
was shoving and it seemed pretty apparent that really our only shot was going to be if Blake just shut them down <laughs> that game. But, you know, I'll, I'll get there in a second. But, yeah, the same thing with Wheeler. I mean, he was pitching really well that game in the moment. And, you know, both managers decided to go to the pen and be aggressive with that, which for both managers had worked during the season and during the playoffs especially. So, you know, Rob Thompson was really aggressive with how he used his pen right away in game one. Uh, Cashy was, you know, that's just how Tampa kind of does it with the pen. They're aggressive with it. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. As a player sitting there watching the games, you know, in my mind, did I think the starters deserve to stay in there because they were throwing so well? Yes, that was my opinion of it. But, you know, that's doesn't mean it's right. I think everyone feels that way. But again, if Alvarado comes in and strikes out um, Alvarez and, you know, gets the rest of the outs, are we talking about it? I mean, you know, <laughs> Alvarez hit a, hit a 99 mile hour fastball to the moon. So, you know, pretty tough bat right there. And he just, he was just better. So I would have liked to see Wheeler stay in, sure. But at the same time, it worked for Rob Thompson earlier in the game. And all the baseball purists are going to be like, hey, the starter's got to pitch more. And I get that. And, you know, if it was my call, I probably would have agreed with that. But, you know, Rob Thompson did such a great job all year with the Phillies to get him back there. And same with Cash that year. It's hard to you know, just kill those guys for that one decision. What do you think? I think there's a lot of factors that play into this. Um, Zach Wheeler's arm fatigue throughout the the postseason definitely was a thing. So they were trying to be mindful of that. They hadn't really let the big dog eat in terms of throwing a lot of innings. I think in the AL and the sorry in the NLCS maybe he went seven innings, but his pitch count was never like super super high. And the other thing was it was a le- it was matchup. It was lefty lefty. You know Thompson was pulling the right strings for the most part up until this point. So you're right. It's there's a lot that kind of played into it from that perspective. So, I mean, not to like rehash like a, like a, like a sore, bad memory though, but like Blake Snell in 2020, like you play with him for two years. You obviously know a lot about him. You're very close with him, but um, like he's done interviews where he's talked about the the early hook in that 2020 world series. Did that, did that really like, what kind of effects and long lasting effects did that have from him? And, and and like, did, did everybody in the moment know that that was not the best decision at the time? You know, I never really talked to Blake about it afterwards because I think whatever he said, you know, obviously he has a ton of respect for Kevin Cash and loves him, but of course he wanted to stay in that game too at the same time, you know, both can be true. Um, So I never really felt the need to like ask Blake (laughs) about that, but I mean, you know, it's over with, you can't just dwell on it, but forever. Yeah. It's, I'm sure Blake's going to be kind of mad about that for his career, but um, in the moment, yeah, it seemed like that was our best chance to win if Blake was just going to go out there and keep shutting down that lineup like he had. But that was the race formula, and it got us there, and, and that's what yeah. they did. And, I, you know, um, but, I th- yeah, I think he just sometimes – and these are all really smart baseball guys, right? Like, Rob Thompson has been around the game a long time. It's not, it's not like they don't know what they're – again, and, you know – Hindsight's twenty twenty. 
I uh, I would leave those guys in, but that's not what I – it's definitely not the decisions I get paid to make for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just thought it was interesting, you know, especially with the the similarities there, the early hook, the the five and a third, you know, it's game six, I think. So, um, yeah. So we, we can we can move off of that. It's okay. Uh, a couple more things, and we'll, then we'll start talking a little free agency, though. I mean, the Phillies' lack of offense, I think, was was definitely a, a factor in all of this. You know, if we wouldn't be talking about this if they would have maybe came on came on and scored a few more runs there late in Game Six. But um, you know, that's should we assess. Should we assess the bats going quiet as probably a major source of this blame? Yeah. I mean, listen, game three in Philly, all the homers, it was like, uh-oh, this series is over. The Philly was slowing their way to the World, you know, the World Series. And then game four happens when they don't get any hits. And, you know, what Schwarber said is definitely true. Who gives a shit? It's over. We lost. We move on. And he responded with a homer the next game but I mean it's still it's not fun like that swing and momentum there going from that high of game three where they're just every ball they're hitting is going over the fence to getting no hit at home in Philly that like that does something for sure so I if nothing you know if the Phillies shook it off the Astros were rolling with that momentum you know what I mean the Astros were pumped about doing that and probably felt great to respond that way. So yeah, man, the Astros, you got to give them credit. I mean, aside from the no hitter Verlander, finally, it sounds crazy to say, but through really well in the world series. Um, and then that bullpen, man, I, that bullpen was just insane. And Framer Valdez was great too. So yeah, the, the Phillies bats, um, no sure. I mean, I thought it was interesting. And I think my cousin texted me and asked me this, but you know, they had Castellanos hitting behind Harper there. And now Castellanos, phenomenal hitter, but was you know struggled basically all year. Wasn't, you know, wasn't hitting what we're used to seeing him hit. And I just thought it was kind of interesting to have that lineup that way where you had him hitting behind behind Harper. And it's like you know, they're just the Astros. We're, we're not going to let Harper beat them. That was like the end of the day. Harper wasn't going to be the one that took down the Astros. So it's like, could they have switched that up maybe and put him in the two hole and real Muto there? I know they like the left, that the left, they don't probably want him and Schwarber too close together with that matchup. But I thought that was interesting how they, the Phillies rolled with that the whole time too. Yeah, no, and and going back to Verlander for a second, I was, you know, it's funny to make fun of Justin Verlander. I've sure, you know, I've certainly done it a lot for how horrific he's been in World Series games. But in all seriousness, with that, if his worst problem in his career is that like he's not great in the World <laughs> Series, like I feel like that's an okay problem to have. That means you're getting to the World Series a lot. So I, you know, I I think it's don't get me wrong, and I was a big playoff Kershaw guy. I loved making fun of playoff Kershaw. That was hilarious for so long because it was it was true. Every like no matter how hard he tried, and I, you know, at some points I did feel bad, but it was just the same thing. But also, it's not a bad problem to have in the grand scheme of things. We're talking about like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning for so long couldn't win the Super Bowl. And we're like, oh, this guy stinks in the playoffs. Best regular season quarterback of all time. That's what I always would tell people. Tom Brady was the opposite, you know regular season was good postseason was great so it's all in perspective when you think about these things but um yeah Justin Verlater finally figured it out so score one for people named Justin 
<laughs> it's only a matter of time, right? I mean, he's too good. They yeah, couldn't, can't couldn't continue. <laughs> um, For sure. Last thing on this, does this put the the Astros cheating scandal, like, does this put this in the rear view, do you think, in the minds of a lot of people? There's only, I didn't realize there's only five dudes from that team in 2017 left on this roster. Um, is this even a, is this even a thing anymore, you think? That's a great question. I think it, it will forever be a thing for the people who were, you know, fans during that time, whether that's fans of the other teams that they beat or just fans of baseball, because I, I said it on here one of the other times, like, a lot of people just feel they didn't get actually punished for it. So it's just like a non-stop vendetta they have against that, uh, like the Astros organization that they're still cheating. But dude, those guys are really good players. That team, I mean, they were the one seed in the AL. Like they were the best team in baseball the entire year, really. So they, I don't think you could, I don't think you could say anything about cheating for this, for this team. And Jeremy Pena, I mean, Jeremy Pena, Jordan Alvarez, like these dudes, they're beasts, you know. So I think if if people are still talking about that, it's just because they're uh, bitter about that whole situation still. It would be funny, though, in like 20 years when like every player from that team is like retired, that there's still people out there harboring like, ah, these Astros, yeah. bunch of cheaters. I just think <laughs> I think that would be funny. It, maybe if we can get some people out there to continue the grudge for a long, like a comically long period of time with the Astros, I think. I wouldn't mind that now that I think about it. That would actually be kind of funny. Cheaters forever. Just going to pass it down to generations. Yes. Just Fathers going to be telling their sons. Going to teach their sons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be like that. So um, that. that's, that's the last live baseball we have to talk about until pitchers and catchers report, which it's, it's, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know when the date is. I should know a top, top of my head as a baseball fan, but we got, we got a long winter ahead of us where not a lot of baseball to break down. So for that part, I'm sorry, but what a season covered it from start to finish on the breaking bats pod. And we'll continue to do that. It's going to be great. It's a great first season. Great first season for us, you know, doing everything, figuring it out on the other side of the world from each other. So yeah. I'd say it was a success. What a great season. A lot of good stories, a lot of good teams, good moments. So baseball is, is I hate when everyone says baseball stinks and it's dead and we got to change all these things and, uh, baseball's doing great and the players are phenomenal and we will see about these changes that happen next year. The next thing we have, uh, I was actually just thinking about this because we wrapped up our predictions at the, at the beginning of the season were horrific. None of us were remotely close. Although your breakout teams, you were three for three on breakout teams. Our world series matchups were not even remotely close. Um, MVPs and Cy Young's though, got to, got to keep track of that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think we're going to get a single one, right? <laughs> I don't think we're going to get a single well, one. Well, right. in our defense, I do feel like we weren't trying to be like the most stock picks of yeah. Tony of all time. Do you, do you remember who you had for MVP in Cy Young? Cause I don't, you're, it's not great. Although you might, you might get one. One's close-ish. I feel like Cy, I think Cy Young, I went like Gosman and Snell. Yep. <laughs> and MV, M, MVP, I went. I don't remember MVP. Vlad, no, not Vlad. You Who went Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Harper, yeah. I mean Trout was a you know solid pick. Uh, Harper, I had no. I had Vlad Junior and Juan Soto 
as my MVPs and my Cy Youngs were Shane Bieber and Jacob deGrom. The real question is, did you think Soto was going to win it as a member of the San Diego Pods? I think if we're going to be technical about it, he should have won it last season in 2021, not Bryce Harper. Because his if you look at the baseball reference breakdown, Soto had Harper in a lot of major statistical categories. So I think that one really should have been a toss-up in the favor of Juan Soto. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I was just looking. So the Cy Youngs come out on the 16th, and then the MVPs come out on the 17th. So it it might be two episodes from now before we finally get to realize if if your guys and or our, or my guys came came away with the dubs there. So um, I don't know why I thought about that. That had nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. But uh, we do have free agency news, and we start this one out with opt outs galore. Good God, this this week has been the week of opt outs. The following players opted out of their deals and hit the open market. Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Rondon, Nelly Cruz, Jerickson Profar, Zach Davies, and Robert Suarez. There's going to be more. Uh, that was just the first crop of them. So th- this list I thought was really interesting. I- I'd love to just kind of take a second to talk about Jacob DeGrom because throughout the entire season, he was very vocal in saying, I'm opting out I the entire time. Any Anytime asked about it, probably even when he wasn't asked about it, he would probably say he's opting out of his contract with the New York Mets. Um but it's interesting because the a lot of other guys in the Mets rotation are in the same kind of boat, like Tywin Walker and Chris Bassett. Bassett had a mutual option. They're on the market, so that's three-fifths of your rotation. Um, that's just kind of floating out there in, in, in free agency. D- John Heyman wrote an interesting piece that said the Yankees have a better chance to keep Aaron Judge than the Mets have a, uh, have a chance to keep Jacob deGrom. Um, that might just be a, a New York sports kind of clickbaity headline, but is there any merit to that? Do, do you agree with John Heyman? I think I do agree with them because I think the, I think the Yankees have to sign Aaron Judge. I've said this. I think yeah. like if they don't re-sign him, it's all hell is breaking loose over there in the Bronx. But Degrom, I see it one of two ways. You're right. He, he was saying he's going to opt out, so it's either he's going to make Cohen pay him a whole lot of money to come back there and probably beat Scherzer's deal or whatever, or he's over it and he wants to go somewhere else. I mean. He's made some money, right? He can probably pick whatever team he wants. I, what team doesn't want Jacob DeGrom? Every team wants Jacob DeGrom. Maybe, yeah, maybe he'll go somewhere for a little bit of a discount that he he really wants to be. I don't, I don't know. I know, I don't know where he's from, but I know he went to Stetson in Florida. But the, you know, the Braves have been floated out there that they were like the number one team to get him if he didn't resign with the Mets. So I, maybe he wants to be back down south or out in New York. I don't know. So. It's definitely a really interesting one to follow. He's from Florida. Uh, yeah, he's yeah he's from the land Florida. I don't know where that's at in relation to. Land's like yeah, it's uh not far from Orlando by Orlando. Okay, Florida guy. Orlando Daytona. I don't necessarily think any of the Florida teams would pony up for him, but never know. Um, yeah, I, I've heard the Braves a lot. I, I think I, I would love him to go to the Braves just because that would make the New York Mets fans' heads explode. That would just be hilarious. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Aaron Judge thing, we, we talked about it a lot for good reason because a guy who hits that many home runs, 62, and he's on the free agent market. And I like how people in the in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes are pointing out he played a pretty good center field. Like, I don't know how much center field you necessarily want him to be playing, but it, it's just cool to hear how people are posturing him as like this, like, you know, he can hit all these home runs, can run down some balls in center field too. I just thought that was, you know, Every time I see him talked about it, it's always a center field. He's player. a good athlete. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's a good athlete for sure. I mean, but I just think it's interesting now, especially, I'm sure DeGrom too, but especially Judge, I feel like he can just, like he's going to get paid and he can basically go where it like depends what he wants for the rest of his career, right? Like, does he want to be the captain of the Yankees and go down as one of the Yankee greats and like follow that trajectory and keep trying to win a World Series there and be really rich? Like, there it is. Like, that's the draw of going back to New York. Or does he want to go back out West and be closer to home where he grew up and make all that money and do something new and try to win out there? Like, all right, he can, he's going to be able to do this. So really it's like, what does he want? Does he want that Yankee legendary captain kind of status or does he want something else? Yeah. I think he should do like a contract like Carlos Correa had where it's like really big and it's an exorbitant amount of money, but there's just an op- there's an opt-out at it for every year. It'd be like a 10-year deal with like 10 opt-outs. I think he should do that. Oh my goodness. Go Those contracts are the, the best. Kansas City Royal. <laughs> just for 50 I, yeah. million for a year and opt out after year one please yeah whoever his agent is just think about it how how much fun would that be every single year we get to the aaron judge sweepstakes i mean it wouldn't be great for the team that he was with for that one year because he's obviously not coming back but that's the risk you take when you when you sign an opt-out full opt-out laden contract so um that's it that wow. i'm i'm now i don't care where he signs as long as there's an opt-out after every year <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Oh, that's, um, that's not good business, Aaron. Don't do that. <laughs> Aaron, you keep betting on yourself every single year. I don't know. Kirk Cousins did. I keep doing all these football re- uh, references, but yeah, Kirk Cousins with the with the with the Washington team there. Um, every year, just you know, figuring it out year by year. It's it's, it's keep keep doing it like that. I, I think it's a bad idea. Um, in some other kind of, you know, free agency news, the Angels and, and Shohei Otani are back in the news again. So the Angels GM Perry Manazian spoke to reporters at the annual GM meeting in Vegas, and he said they have no plans to trade Shohei Otani this offseason. Um, Shohei's back on a one-year deal for 30 mil to avoid arbitration. They The Angels are interesting. I'll put it that way. They haven't put a winning record together since uh, Otani joined the team in 18. And they're, they're, there's, there's Artie Moreno is just trying to sell the team right now. So is this like a negotiating tactic for this GM to say, oh, we're not trading him? Or do you actually think they're going to keep him? I think it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of weird, a little bit of both. Like they're trying to sell the team, right? So they're definitely not trying to say, well, you're not getting Otani to go with it. So uh, I think that's definitely part of it. I think they will, you know, be perceived in a bad way if they trade Otani, just <laughs> trade the two-way sensation of like all time. Not a great look. But at some point, I guess that, you know, they got to be realistic too and, and be like, he's starting to say things and make it sound like he doesn't want to be here. And if he's going to walk, we'd rather get some serious prospects or whatever in return instead of him just walking away and we get nothing anyway. So, at that got to see how the season plays out. Yeah. It's just, it, it's interesting to me for, for this team to be as bad off as they are and for everybody in the, around baseball to, to see how bad this team is. And then for them to be like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to draw a line in the sand on this one, putting our foot down. He's not, 
not not dealing this guy. It's like you just saw what the the Padres gave up for Juan Soto, and everybody called that the deal of the generation. So, I mean, imagine what what a team would give up for even just a year of this two way pitching hitting monster of a man. I, yeah, it's just that blows my mind. So that's we're gonna mark this one down as him saying they're not gonna trade him today in early November. And then we're going to look in like two months from now when they actually do trade him. And we're going to say, yeah, I told you so. Yeah, Perry. I, I knew you weren't, I knew you weren't being completely true with us that at that point. So um, yeah, that's, that's another storyline. We got the judge saga. We got the Otani saga. Um, it's a lot of stuff, but uh, in terms of this podcast saga, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week. <laughs> our fudging awesome moment of the week is brought by our sponsor, the original fudge kitchen. Ship fudge and sweet treats all over the country. You can find them at fudge kitchens with an S.com. I had the fudge a couple weeks ago. I have one little piece left, so I need to order some more soon. It is unbelievable. Lasted me probably three weeks too because it's tasty and a lot, and they have a lot of different flavors. So go check them out at fudge kitchens with an S.com. Philly, Jersey Shore listeners, if you're down there, it's always a nice time to go down the Jersey Shore, J.A., this time of year because nobody's there. It's nice and quiet. It's yeah. still the still the beach, still the ocean. If you're down, they have locations in Stone Harbor, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Ocean City, and Cape May. That's the original Fudge Kitchen, and you can find them online at fudgekitchens with an S.com. Hey, I mean, the weather up in this part of the country has been pretty awesome lately. So, yeah, I could see that. There's like some random 75-degree days sprinkled in here. So, absolutely, that's that's going to be a great, great thing for for people in the in the Philly, Jersey Shore area. So, we I had one of two things that we could have done for this week's Fudging Awesome Member of the Week. I was, at first, I'm like, Mattress Mac, you know, the, the Houston guy down there who, who won like $75 million betting on the Houston Astros. But then I was like reading about it and it's like, he's going to break even because he, he took out all these big bets as like a hedge uh, against this gigantic furniture sale. So he's like going to break even. So it's like, not that cool. You you read, Oh, $75 million. This guy won. It's like, it's not that cool. So I didn't want to go with that for this week, but I do have a cooler one. And my Washington nationals bias is going to come into play here because my, one of my favorite players for so many years growing up was Trey Turner. And he's a free agent this off season. I think it's the first time he's a free agent too. I can't, I can't think he's been a free agent before this. He's had a monster of the year this year. He's like a career 300 hitter shortstop. He's the best. His agency, CAA baseball, they decided to create a hype video and they got John Hamm, the mad men guy to narrate it. And I just, I'm, I'm so, I, I'm so confused. Like there's like, if you watch the video, we put it out on our, our Twitter feed at breaking bats pod and it's been tweeted out everywhere. Um, there's just like things in it, like quote, since 2019, he's been the second best position player in baseball, according to Fangraphs, with a 21.1 F war. You have the opportunity to change the direction of your franchise with a centerpiece. And I'm just like, why? Why was this a thing? Why did we need a hype video for Trey Turner? Who who doesn't know how good Trey Turner is? I was just I was so taken aback by this, but damn, it's cool to have John Hamm narrated it. So I don't know what what did what do you think about the, the, you know having celebrities narrate just megastar baseball guys's like free agency hype videos? It's I'm I'm with you like this is Trey Turner this isn't some rando like what what GM needs an introduction to Trey to Trey Turner in the in the <laughs> like 
this is this isn't me sending out like huddle videos on Twitter of my my highlights. You know, this is Trey Turner. Come on, we don't. This is I don't know. It's like so cheesy. It's awesome and hilarious at the same time. I don't even like what they're gonna once he gets his crazy deal. They're gonna like point to this video and be like, "Yep, that's what did it." Final nail in the coffin right there. Locked it <laughs> up, but hilarious. I mean, good for them. The Mattress Mac thing is funny, though, because, you know, that you see that video of the people, like him yelling F you to people in Philly? Yeah. Dude, I saw that, and I'm like, does this guy, first of all, you're just advertising how much money that you, like, bet on this game, and you think you're just going to waltz into Philly <laughs> with all these – like northeast philly shout out northeast philly where i grew up i say this in the most loving way these northeast philly scumbags are gonna see you in your jersey like knowing that you put all this money on the game and they're not gonna heckle you like get out of here bro these dudes are gonna see you and just let like light you up so i was dying when i saw that video i'm like yep that's it right there and he's all mad like what he thought they were gonna be like hey man Really hope Congrats. you win your $75 million bet. Like, get out of here. I would love to know, like, what was the beginning of that video? Because it was so Philly. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, that's – it's such a great clip. Yeah, I mean, you know, Matrix Mac is – he's an old guy, though. So, you know, people should – I would I wouldn't, yes. like, be giving it to Mattress Mac the way that the people on the concourse at the bank did. So – but I just – I don't know. It was funny watching him kind of snap back because, you know, he had all that anger kind of pent up. You know, that wasn't the first time that day he had been heckled. So he finally, he just had to blow a gasket and let it out. <laughs> Listen, and I take that back. They probably weren't from Northeast Philly. They were probably from Delco. So <laughs> my Philly people will, will, understand, will understand that reference. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just, <laughs> it's, it's a great clip. We could, we, we, that was, our runner-up this week for Fudgy and Awesome Moment of the Week. But I had all this talk of hype videos and John Hamm, like, also, I just think it would be hilarious if there was one GM who came out and was like, you know, I was on the fence about this Trey Turner guy, but then I watched the, the you know, I was binge-watching Mad Men, and then I saw John Hamm do this video. I was like, damn, yeah, let's let, let's get CAA on the phone. Let's, let's get Trey over here. But if you were to have uh, a hype video created like this, who would you like to narrate it? That is a great question. I think either I think it would probably be Mark Wahlberg or Matthew McConaughey, and I'd probably lean towards Matthew McConaughey now that I think about it. But Wahlberg would be a pretty good one too. McConaughey's a great one. That's I'm a you, big you, McConaughey guy. Absolutely, I, I I keep telling myself I'm going to read his Green Lights book I, every time I walk past it in like Target and like that. Today's the day. Haven't done it yet. Um, Christmas time is coming though. So mom and dad, if you're listening to this, um, I'll send it to you for Christmas. There you go. Who would, oh, who would do yours? That's, I don't know. A, a Justin Ayers hype video. Um, it's gotta be, the voice has to be recognizable. I don't know. I would probably just hire like Frank Caliendo. Maybe, maybe just have him do like a, a series of voices. I don't know. I feel like that would just be, I could, I could see, uh, Nick Saban doing yours. Nick Saban. <laughs> He's a good one. Yeah, I, I like. Think he'd be a good one for you. <laughs> I like Joey Molinero's impression of Nick Saban more than I like the actual Nick Saban. So shout out Joey Molinero. He's it's a good one. Yeah, he's just when he does like the SEC coaches like video call or whatever. It's <laughs> it's the funniest shit ever. So yeah, um, I, I would probably have a compilation of just Frank Caliendo running down the list of every voice he does. Like Chris Berman, yeah, Ron Jaworski, 
all of them, every, every, every Caliendo. So, um, if I ever need one, Frank, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming to you, buddy. Um, so we're, we're talking all about Trey Turner. We're talking about all about this free agency stuff, but this free agency shortstop bonanza that's going on this off season, it is loaded. I can't remember a time where there's been this many like great, like in the prime of their career, people at the same position hitting the market at the exact same time. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, they're all like late twenties prime of their career. Like, Am I alone in thinking that? Like, do you ever remember a free agency run like this that we're about to see for guys like this? Not off the top of my head, shortstop. I mean, those are four really good players right there and all coming off very good years. Um, I'll be very, I'm very interested to see who ends up getting the bet, well, most money or best deal, whatever you want to say, out of this, these guys, I think is very, very interesting. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. So out of the four guys that I just listed there at shortstop, who do you think is the most likely to return back to their old team? Bogarts. It'd be a toss-up between between him and Swanson. Um, actually, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to go with Swanson. I think I think the Braves, you know, they have all those other guys locked up, right? We've talked about that. Tough to lose Swanson there because he's been – I mean, he's really turned into a very good hitter. Very, very consistent. He's been awesome for them. So I don't think they can lose him. Bogarts is definitely, I think Turner and Correa are both somewhere else. Bogarts, yeah. I think he ends up back in Boston, but uh, I do think other teams are really going to make a run at him. And I don't know, it seems between him and Devers, not either of them not signing an extension and the fact that Boston already has Trevor Story there who can slide over to shortstop and if if that's what happens, like I don't know. It just seems it just seems weird that Bogarts and, and Devers are both um not signed and I I don't know. I feel I feel like they're a little not happy about that. What do you think? I I would agree. Yeah, the Boston situation is interesting. I the, how funny would it be though for Dansby Swanson and the Braves? Not for it wouldn't be funny for Dansby Swanson, but how funny would it be for the Braves to do what they did for Freddie Freeman, and then they just like they don't bring Freddie back, but then they just bring in like an equal, if not better, like replacement. Like if they just didn't, if the Braves didn't re-sign Dansby, but then they went out and signed Trey Turner for a crap ton of money, like yeah. I think that would just be, I, I don't know, maybe that's just the way they operate. It's like you know we don't do the home, we don't do the homegrown talent, we don't take our stars back. We'll take somebody else's stars. I don't know. Could be funny. Ah, oh, man. That would be interesting. And I think Trey Turner's an NC State guy. I think he's from down south somewhere. So he probably like that. He has said he wants to be on the East Coast again, I think. Uh, I keep hearing the Phillies sniffing around on Trey Turner. I don't think that's going to happen. Look, and you can clip, we can clip this and you can make me sound like an idiot if he ever signs in Philly, but. Why Why would the Phillies be sniffing in on Trey Turner if they have Bryson Stott, who they've obviously they like a lot, they've, they've trusted in big situations in the playoffs? Like, why Why would that make sense? Slide, well, they didn't pick up Segura's option. He was playing second base for him, so he slide one of the other, one of those two guys over to second base. And Segura's option was almost $18 million. So, so it wasn't exactly cheap. I don't know what he made this year, but um, – I, the Phillies got close, man. They got really close. And Dave Zembrowski, the GM, is there to win. And I believe Middleton's the owner. Uh, he wants to win, too. So 
I don't know, man. That would that be wild. Phillies, what a team, what a lineup that would be if you put Trey Turner in that lineup. It it wouldn't be fair. Um, and then to watch him and Harper in 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 the lineup in the same lineup again, but in <laughs> Philadelphia, I don't, I don't know what I would do. It would it would just be tough. I my yeah, I don't know if my heart hard. can take seeing that. It's it's been tough enough trying to like deal with my emotions with Bryce Harper being in Philadelphia and like it's like I want him to do well, but also I don't want him to do well. Um. So yeah, I, I, I'm firmly, firmly against that. Um, so yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm excited for this free agency shortstop class to, you know, figure itself out. Hopefully I want one of these big guys to sign at the winter meetings because I always watch the winter meetings coverage on MLB network. And like, I feel like it's been a kind of a lackluster performance at the winter meetings for a while. We need a big name. Like, give me, give me Trey Turner back to the nationals at the winter meetings. Why not? Well, last year was always, that's not happening. But last year was last year was a weird year because of the CBA and stuff. But you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to shoot you down like that. No, you it's, never know. It might happen. Yeah. It could happen. It yeah. could happen. I have a pirate shirt on today, so this is this is very confusing for probably everybody else besides me. So he could go to Pittsburgh. Who knows? They it could happen. Yeah, Trey's played second before in LA. Have him and O'Neill Cruz the best best up the middle play uh, double play combo of baseball. Maybe he wants to go play with O'Neill Cruz. Who knows? It's a big draw. He's also a big guy. So big guy. maybe there's something big to guy, that as well. Draw. Big draw. Pittsburgh. Don't count him out in the free agency market this offseason. Um, all right. So last but not least, this week we have our top five to clean up last week's top five, which was the most unlikely postseason heroes. Uh I won 66-34. I'm sorry. Um, but it's a new week. Got a whole new list for you guys coming out. Uh, so this week, though, talking all about free agency. I love baseball free agency. It's it's my favorite free agency of all the four major sports. Uh, we're going to be doing the top five best under-the-radar free agent hitters. And uh, we'll probably follow this up at some point with the best under-the-radar free agent pitchers. All right, number five, I'm going with our guy. I'm going with Frazier, Adam Frazier. Uh, I just I watched what he did in the playoffs. Uh, you know, this year in Seattle, it's it's not been a traditional Adam Frazier type year, but I have faith that he'll be able to turn it around, whatever team he goes to in 2023. Uh, just a great clubhouse guy. We've got to get it back on the podcast too. So, um, yeah, Adam Frazier is my number five. My number four is Matt Carpenter. We all saw the renaissance he had this season in New York. He was hitting well over 300 for most of the season. Um, he's getting older in age. But that, that might be a good thing, though. You can get him on like a one- or two-year deal, have him play DH. He figured out, he figured that swing out again, and uh, I, I have faith in Matt Carpenter. So, yes, Matt Carpenter is number four. Number three, it's going to be your guy, Jerkson Profar. I, I look at what he did this season in San Diego, a 3.1 war. You can kind of move him around a little bit, a little position versatility. Uh, and he had a 111 OPS plus, so uh, a little bit above league average for Jerkson Profar. And then number two, it's my guy. It's Trey Mancini, formerly of the Orioles, most recently with the Astros. Let's just put the bad postseason aside for a second. Trey is a leader in the clubhouse. He still has very good power. Any team would be lucky to have him on their team for 2023. So uh, Trey Trey Mancini is my number two. And my number one, and I put him at number one because I feel like he's going to get lost in the shuffle of of outfielders this offseason. We're all going to be talking about Aaron Judge. Where is he going? I'm looking at Andrew Benintendi. No, I'm my number one pick. He's... I, I, he's this guy. He's only 28 years old too, which is, I feel like that's a great, that's a, that's a young ish age. I feel like be hitting free agency. I feel like a lot of guys are like, you know, late twenties, early thirties, um, 304 average this past season. So 
Um, that is that is my list. What do you think? I like it. I have Profars on my list as well, so I'll put him uh, fifth on my list. And then after that, number four, I have Michael Conforto, who sat out this whole year uh, with a sh- shoulder injury. Kind of a weird little story there. Not totally sure what happened, but has been a staple in that Mets lineup for a while now. It had some good years. So him coming back, uh, he's number four. Number three, I went with our Japanese friend who we talked briefly about, uh, Yoshida Masataka. Played against him all year in Japan. Really good. I mean, over there, I thought was the best hitter over there. Um, little guy, really good power. Like, can hit balls far. Um, but very, just very good. Um, wasn't I, I said this to you before we started filming? Um, not I, I don't know if he was hurt or what, but really wasn't moving well, wasn't playing the outfield very much. So that'll be interesting. So I'm just kind of interested, you know, it came out of nowhere to me, um, that he was going to come here. So I'm just interested to see what kind of deal he gets and, and how it ends up being because it's just so different the styles, uh. Of the of the games and of the pitching, so I'm just interested to see what happens there. And Japanese hitters, typically, you know, haven't had a ton of success lately. Uh, so he's number three. Number two is going to be Jock Peterson. Um, just I man, just like gets it done. I don't know. People just overlook him. I think I don't know. I think he kind of bothers people, especially after the pearls or whatever. But dude can hit, can flat out hit, and is going to help whatever team he's. He's on next. And then number one for me, I feel I maybe he's not on the radar. It, it's Xander Bogarts. I just don't – I feel like casual fans don't really know who he is. And he's unbelievable. And if the Red Sox don't sign him, he's going to make another team very happy and they're going to have a very good shortstop because that dude rakes. So he's my number one. Um, but they're all – I thought they're, all those guys are pretty – Pretty interesting just to see how it shakes out for them. Yeah, that's that's what I love so much about free agency is that like sometimes you have kind of these under the radar signings that have gigantic impacts the next season. Um, so it's all about kind of like you know diamonds in the rough if you want to call them. But yeah, I mean Xander Bogarts, that's that's a pretty good pick. You know, he's a two ninety two lifetime hitter. He's he's always played like he's always in like a hundred fifty plus games a year range. He's model of consistency with like 33 home runs sprinkled in there randomly at one point. So um, yeah, we're all, we're going to talk a lot about Trey Turner at, at shortstop. We're going to talk about Carlos Correa, obviously for good reason, but you're right. Let's, let's not forget about Xander Bogarts there. Um, and also I just completely forgot Michael Conforto was even like a player. So that's, that's under the radar. It was, uh, he was actually the first guy. I'm like, all right, who's under the radar? And I was like, holy shit, Michael Conforto forgot about him. Perfect. <laughs> he could, yeah. He was a good hitter, man. So uh, if he's healthy, uh, he might have to take a minor league deal or something. Reestablish, you know, base it off that. Yeah, but I mean, he makes he still make a lot of money. Boris is his agent; they'll figure it out. But hey, I yeah. don't know. That was a interesting whole like story it. going on there last year. No doubt. Anyway. All right, uh, we have two last quick things, and then we'll get to our interview for this week. Uh, we wanted to give a shout out to a friend of the podcast, Actions Over Words. It's an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. They donate $5 of every sale to charities around the world. So check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com and use our promo code N4L 
10% off of your entire order, tees, hats, hoodies, and more. And finally, check out the Not For Long Media family of podcasts. We have tons of great content for you guys. Colin Thompson's show. Uh, we also, you know, two girls, one league. Harry Mays and Jason Mercedes have a podcast called IGs on our network too. So uh, lots of great stuff to check out. So be sure to check out Not For Long Media family of podcasts. Interview for this week. Uh, I taped it a little bit ago. It's it's a Justin Solo special. Uh, his name is Johnny Magliozzi. He pitched at University of Florida. That's how we knew Colin. So shout out the guy, Colin Thompson. Um, 17th round pick by the Mets in 13. He played in their minors until 2018. It's really cool. He's, he's an underclass scout for the Mets. So he, he's looking at guys that aren't draft eligible, which is, I didn't know a ton about it. Ha, have you ever, like, did you work with an underclass scout? Is that, did you know what that was before? Because I didn't know. No, I didn't know there was a distinction between the two. My guy from the Reds was just, I just, I just thought that's how it was. Like you go and you see, and I go, oh, that guy's pretty good. Let's watch him, you know. So yeah. that's, it's interesting that they have the the two different kind of uh, classifications there. Yeah, these two. It's cool. Yeah, it's I think it's like a thirty minute ish interview. We, we talked. To, uh, he obviously being in the New York Mets system, being a University of Florida guy, brought up Tim Tebow for a little bit. So we talked about playing with Tim Tebow when he played baseball with him there for a couple of years. So uh, it's a really cool conversation. Uh, so with that being said, let's send it over to our interview with Johnny Magliozzi. All right. Joining us this week on breaking bats. We have a very special guest, Johnny Magliozzi, former collegiate minor league pitcher, current underclass scout for the Mets. Johnny. So good to finally have you on here, dude. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, dude. So uh, I want to take it back to university of Florida to start. Uh, I was going back and I was looking at those teams that you were on back in 12 and 13, just loaded with MLB talent, like Mike Zanino, Harrison Bader. Like, did you know from like the first time you visited UF that like, this is the place that I want to be? Uh, I didn't actually, I, I did a lot of visits. Uh, I, I kind of, you know, narrowed it down to five schools. I wanted to be in the SEC. Uh, I also kind of potentially wanted to be in the ACC as well. I thought that those two conferences of the power five uh, were just kind of where I fit in just because they were on the, the coast where I grew up. Uh, so I just, I came, went to Florida. I, I fell in love with Sully and, and, and his personality, and I kind of just went with it and, and rolled the ball and got out there and had a blast. It's like, it must be University of Florida week on this podcast. We just had Sean Anderson on yesterday, uh, or two days ago, and it's just like hearing all about just like the, the quality of like, you know, the guys you're playing with, the facilities, just like it, it feels like a great experience. Like, when you think back to those teams that you were on at UF, like who who are some of the most talented teammates that stood out to you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, my freshman year, uh, Paco Rodriguez really stood out. Um, just kind of a different type of kid, um, stuff wise, was really really good pitcher, uh, and it was kind of it made sense when he got drafted. And I think he made it to the big leagues within like forty five days. It was pretty crazy. So. He was pretty special. Uh, Preston Tucker was special. Nolan Fontana. They were that team was pretty, uh, pretty dang good when I got there. So, uh, what were the lessons that you learned at the University of Florida that kind of stuck with you in your your collegiate after your post collegiate career? Uh, you know, baseball it, it can break you down, and uh, there's a lot of kind of negative outcomes in it. Uh, so for me, it was having a short term memory, uh, especially with my freshman year. I had a, a roller coaster year, so it was tough to uh, be consistent. And then I got to go to the summer where I was kind of like in a relaxed atmosphere. and I, I didn't have to compete as much. I could just kind of go out there and have fun. And, and that kind of helped me out a lot. But 
my freshman year, having a short-term memory and just kind of figuring out what works for you and building a routine is kind of going to help you uh, in the long run be a better pitcher. Did you also pitch in the College World Series? I didn't. I actually got hot five times. That's kind of uh, four or five times. I, that's my running joke is that uh, I got hot. I was the I, I got hot the most in the College World Series, so I warmed up a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're still there. I mean, what was that experience like? Uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. The bullpen bullpen mound was unbelievable, man. It was really really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Top tier. Um, so Colin and Thompson's the one that, you know, obviously set this one up. So shout out Colin. So like, when was like the first time you remember meeting the boy? Uh, well, oh, geez, this is eight years ago now going on nine. But, uh, the first time I, met him, I think we were, we were getting lunch or something. It might've been in the cafeteria. We kind of just talked hockey. Uh, he was talking, he was a big flyers guy and, you know, I was a big Bruins guy and, he was just bouncing back and forth and telling me who's the best and who's the best. And I was just telling him the Flyers, you know, they haven't been anything since, since the Broad Street Bullies. So, yeah, no, that's, yeah, he, big, big hockey guy, Colin. He also said to mention, uh, he said, bring up any Florida party stories. So, yeah. Uh, any, <laughs> anything safe for air that, any good, any good times with, with him till up until yeah. like 3 a.m. drinking beers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think 3 a.m. 3 is a good cutoff time, but, uh, yeah, we had a we had a good one. Uh, it was at my house. It was two of my roommates. We were like upperclassmen at the time. Uh, it was a Halloween party. It was like a themed Halloween party. Uh, a lot of the football guys came over. A lot of athletes were there. I I, I want to say over two hundred people were there. Uh, we had a big backyard. <laughs> so the the party started at like seven or eight, and then like we floated probably about six to eight kegs. It, it was it was <laughs> it was pretty impressive, and then. You know, at, at 11 o'clock, we had nowhere else to go. And people were like, let's go to Midtown. But I, I mean, the house that we were in was a mess. So we had to kind of hang back. And, and uh, I was in my tiger suit or something. It, it, that was a crazy one. Was that common, though, for baseball and football guys to all get together and do that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. We got, Everyone kind of got along. Uh, there was never any, uh, you know, bullshit within the athletes. I don't, I don't think there was any, any drama. Um, you know, I kind of stared away from all of that stuff. Uh, you never want to make it off, you know, get in any trouble off the field. Everyone was looking to have a good time and stay safe. So just kind of relax a little bit outside of the athletic competitions. That's really cool, though. I mean, you know, a decade later, you and Colin are still seem like you're still pretty cool. So, I mean, that's 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 really cool that you, you guys had that experience. Um, going to draft day, though, so 17th round in 2013, like, was that right, roughly where you thought you were going to go? Like, what what was that experience like? Oh, that's uh, the draft's pretty uh, stressful situation. Uh, I thought I was going to go a little earlier uh, out of college. I thought I was going to go in the six to 10 round range, um, you know, especially like the seventh, eighth, ninth, but it, it didn't happen. Uh, and the third day came and I was getting calls the night before and, and, and people were texting me and asking me questions. And I was trying to answer to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, you know, then, the Mets called me and they wanted to draft me. And I told them no, because three picks later, the Reds were going to draft me. And I, I was looking to get a little bit of more money. So uh, I told the Mets, don't draft me. I, don't, I won't take it. Because it was like $75,000 more. And, uh, you know, they called back again. They go, we're going to take it. I'm like, please don't take me. Please don't take me. And they actually did. And then we negotiated a little bit. And then uh, as we moved forward, 
uh, I signed on the last day. Um, so I ended up signing with the Mets. And that's kind of where my story went from there. I don't, that's, is that common for guys to be in that situation where, where you're telling teams like, Hey, like, thanks, but no, thanks. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I, I, I you see it kind of all the time. There's, there's a lot of pre-draft deals. I don't know, you know necessarily with the draft now, um, but you know, th- there are a lot of pre-draft deals in baseball where kids will just like fall to the fourth round and then they'll get paid like $4 million. So they're like, Okay, why was this kid not a first round? He's a you know top twenty talent, yeah. but it's just it's all about timing. Uh, you know the pool of money that teams have, and uh, there, there's always there's different types of you know variables that go into it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean I'm an Orioles fan, and like you know we keep hearing the term under slot every time a draft comes around, and like as yeah. a fan, it's like the not it's the not sexy thing to do. It's like hey, let's take somebody lower on the draft board for cheaper, but like we're gonna ball out in like the middle rounds. And like as a dumb fan, we're just like, no, I want, I want that guy. He's he's really, really good. Like, the the draft process and just the behind the scenes stuff. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, man, it's 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 uh, from me beyond this side of it. I'm I'm still kind of learning about it. Um, it it's pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting concept, and it's uh, you know, it's it's teams competing with each other and seeing their boards. Everybody's boards different. Everybody's timing is different. You know where they see guys selected is different, and then they have all these mock drafts and all these you know, I don't know, all these people making mock drafts. So it's it's you know, it, no one's ever right on anything. Um, so it's all it's pretty much a gamble and it's a crapshoot, and uh, it's it's tough. It's really hard. Yeah, I mean that's I mean obviously from a fan's perspective, people think of like, well, the NFL draft is pretty cut and dry. Like you draft a guy, he, you plug him in, but it's like MLB draft. It's like you're you're drafting on like potential, especially with like high school kids. Uh, do you like the kind of the the spectacle it's become more so now, like where they have it as like a big event weekend as opposed to like you know back in a stuffy room in Secaucus, New Jersey? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's a special special couple of days. Uh, it's for for kids so i mean that's kind of what it's all about um you know i'm not like the big bells and whistles guy i'm not kind of i'm not really into that but other you know generations are i feel like it's a it's a good opportunity for kids to kind of get their name out and get their social media built up so i think that's kind of what it's about um and it's also it helps organizations get these guys to be the face of the new generation so i think it helps them as well Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's right on it. Um, so there's a couple guys that you play with in the Mets minor league system that I wanted to like talk to you a little bit about. The first one yep. was Pete Alonzo. Like yeah. as a, also for a uh, Florida guy, like, could you tell in the minors, like this guy is going to be like something special? Oh yeah. Pete was, uh, Pete, Pete, everyone kind of, you know, looks at Pete and they're like, wow, he's such a good hitter. He's such a good hitter. And he's got so much power, but behind the scenes, you know, where Pete worked his butt off was defensively every single day he'd be out there for early work and every single day he'd be asking questions about how he can get better at first base and what he needs to do to get better at first base. And, you know, I think Pete every year could hit 320 if he wanted to, but I mean, he, he's such a good hitter and it's not that, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not that he, he's, he likes getting out, but he just, he really just knows how to hit. He knows how to value, you know, his position and his role. And, uh, Man, he he's got some 
some real power. He hit one of the he hit actually the furthest ball I've ever seen. Um, I think it was 2016 in high A. Hit it over the scoreboard in Port St. Lucie, and we tracked it down. We measured it, and uh, I think it was like close to 500, 520. It was unbelievable. It was on the backfield in spring training behind the facility. It was crazy. That's really cool. We brought up the, the all around part of his game. Yeah, right. I, I think that gets you know the hitting probably overshadows that a little bit. Um, but the other thing that I like, I saw on Instagram, he was hosting like was it like Pete Alonso's Night of Comedy or something. He got up on the mic for a little bit. It, he seems like one of the like under the radar funny guys. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean he, he's just goofy. He's goofy. So he, him walking around is, is funny to me. Uh, you know, like things that he take like the home run derby. Like that, that's funny to me that he's taking it like so serious. I mean, it is for a lot of money, but like that, it, he's dead serious, which is, I think that's funny. I mean, people just go out there to have fun and he's like competing. And I think that's kind of, you know, it goes back to his makeup and, you know, off the field, he's a funny kid. He's goofy, likes to have fun and, and he's a great kid. And he's, uh, he's had an awesome career, man. I'm happy for him. Yeah, the the Zen face with the eyes closed. At the t- yeah, during the home run derby, yeah. I, I was like, "Dang, this guy! It's not just some fun event. This is like this is real." Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely serious, man. The other one that I wanted to talk about, which is probably my favorite, uh, is Tim Tebow. What? Yeah. So, how long were you teammates with him? Um, Tim and I were teammates for two years. Uh, he was behind me, and then he kind of he caught up to me. Um, so I think we played in high A and then we played in double A together. So when you first saw him on the field, uh, again, another Florida guy, what, what did you think about his baseball ability the first time you saw him? Uh, it, it, he was strong. I thought he was yeah. pretty strong. Uh, you know, I think he struggled a little bit defensively. Um, he was still trying to learn and, and, and grasp. I mean, it, pro baseball is no joke. Um, so it was tough for him to kind of come off the streets and go play in the outfield at a fast pace. And then for him to see the consistent pitching, you know, not only in, in rookie ball, but all the way to double A. He did all right. I thought he did okay for stepping on, getting out of bed and, and playing professional baseball. It's not easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think he had said he hadn't like swung a batter play baseball since he was like a junior in high school or something. So like, yeah, yeah you're that from that aspect. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, people made fun of like the ball hit him in the face and he tripped on stuff and you know, whatever. But like for like you like you said, somebody who it's been a decade and he's 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 out there grinding. I thought that was really cool. But like what was the behind the scenes stuff like? What what was he like as a teammate? What was he like in the locker room? He's a good guy. He works hard. Uh he takes his uh conditioning and his lifting very serious. Um so he was kind of just grinding at that. He'd stay to himself. Um, you know, after games, I think he kinda I think he lived alone and went and went on his own thing. Um, you know, we hung out a couple times, just bought us a couple spreads. Uh, he brought us the PDQ, I think, in Gainesville at one time. Um, so, he, yeah, he's a good guy, man. He's, he, he cares about what he does. Whatever he's doing, he's going to put 100% effort into getting better, into working out for sure. What was it like going on the road, though? Because I remember when Tebow Mania came to my little town in Maryland, where, like, I think it was, like, the Columbia Fireflies were in town, and I, they packed the stadium. There was, like lines around the block just to get in like from your perspective being on the team with him what, what did you think about tebow mania yeah it was uh in high a it wasn't as as much in double a it, it wasn't as much as either i don't think uh a lot like south carolina like that was kind of the southeast range 
where he played a lot of his college games. Uh, and then when you got to, to Florida, you know, you'd have a couple, couple sellouts and stuff. And then when you got to Binghamton, there, there was, it was kind of double A baseball. So you're not getting a bunch of crowds in Binghamton, but I don't know if that was a shock to him or, or what, but the, the, I know Columbia, they did really, really well with ticket seals and Tebow. So I'm not really sure, but high A and double A wasn't, wasn't anything crazy. You'd have some crazy fans and maybe screaming and stuff and asking you questions. Kind of just keep to yourself and be a professional. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess as time wore on, I guess like kind of like I, I guess it was at first the novelty of it. it's like, oh crap, he's here. But now I guess you're right. Yeah, it's like okay, it's been a couple of years. Probably Tebow Mania has tapered off a little bit. Um, one last one. So I mean, I think he was a an all star in Double A with Binghamton. Was it cool like watching him progress? Like I, you know, the average went up, the home runs started flying, like. When, when you're watching him get better and better, was was that just cool from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing from um, from me was was the defense. Uh, it was always kind of I don't know. It was uh, it was a little bit. I don't want to stay sketchy out there, but it was just it, it wasn't like you, he's a Gold Glove outfielder, um, so you don't really trust him in the outfield. But you, you know he's going to work hard and, and go hard at every ball. Uh, from the hitting standpoint, I think he got better quicker. Um, the power was there. Uh, he limited the swing and miss, uh, so the average started to go up. I think he had a, he had a pretty good year. Um, those in betweeners where he just fight off a ball, you know, end of the bat, get jammed. He's so strong they would just drop and land. And uh, you know, he did well. He worked hard, and, and he was a good teammate. Nothing we can ask more. I love it. Yeah, I really wish he would have got called up to the big leagues there. Um, so. Going, so going back to you for a second, you, you retired from baseball in 2018. So take me through what happened after, and then when did scouting come into play? Yeah, so I got released from AA uh, during the All-Star break, um, and I just decided that I was kind of done. Uh, I had some family things going on, and I was just personally just burnt out. And uh, going into that spring training, I was kind of you know, contemplating what I should do, and you know, a lot of friends and family said, go, go play and see what happens. So. I go back, I get released. Um, I was dating a girl in Georgia. I moved down here. Uh, I take a job uh, with the Georgia Bombers. I was doing all the pitching stuff and doing private lessons. Uh, did that for like three years. Started coaching the 17-year-old program down here. Um, you know, we went from a non-ranked team to the last two years. We were ranked in the top 10, uh, I think six and eight. Uh, we won a bunch of games, a bunch of championships with amateur baseball. Um, sent about, I'd say, 50 kids Division One, and then a bunch of kids D2, D3, JUCO. Uh, we've had a couple kids drafted. We had one kid signed last year, uh, Mari Daniel, with the Minnesota Twins. Um, this upcoming year, we hope to have a couple more guys drafted. Um, in February of 2022, I took an underclass supervisor job with the Mets. So I'm doing scouting with the New York Mets for the year before draft, uh, which is pretty interesting. And it's pretty different to be on this side of baseball. Uh, so it, it's been fun. I've got to travel around the Southeast, uh, the Northeast. I've been out West to California. I've been in Texas. I put miles on my, on rental cars and it, it's been, it's been really cool. I, I really enjoy it. And it's been a, a good career so far. I actually just moved organizations from the bombers to the TGD backs with hopes of a, a seven-field facility and a 2,600-square-foot facility. So where I'm excited about the future and, uh, you know, hopefully good things to come. 
that's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Thank I, the, you. The whole concept of underclass scouting is something that, like, before you had mentioned it, I don't think I had heard a lot about it or really knew a lot about it. So, like, what does what your job consist of with that? So, like, what, what, what's the day-to-day like? So, it, it's a new position. Um, you know, the Mets are, I think, are going above and beyond uh, any organization in the country to be the best. Uh, their scouting department was unbelievable before they even started this position. Uh, so, I'm just pretty thankful that they gave me an opportunity. Um, but so a day-to-day position for me, uh, right now we're kind of slow. I'm just doing a lot of reports and follows, uh, catching up on expenses. But for like a weekend, an SC weekend, Tennessee versus Florida, I would go watch them. And I'd, I'd watch the guys that aren't drafted. Um, I'd, I'd do like a pro report on them. I'm looking for tools, run, hit, power, arm strength, you know, plate discipline all the tools that go into being a, a professional baseball player and, and projecting these kids and where you see them. I write a report on those kids, you know, throughout the week and I, I just redo it every weekend. And, and as an amateur, we're going to, you know, amateur travel events throughout the summer. Um, you know, these perfect game PBR events, area codes, East coast pro workouts. There's so many events and we're trying to get them all and get players in to our database that, you know, when these guys go to look to draft them, we have reports on them from six years ago, eight years ago, five years ago. So it's pretty, it's pretty smart. And it's, uh, it's been pretty successful so far. This is my first year and it was a, it was a big learning curve and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the growth of it. I love that. So draft eligibility. So I think in college, you're draft eligible after you're a junior, right? And then when do you get draft eligible when you're in high school? So high school, your senior year, you're draft eligible. In college, it's it's uh, it was within 45 days of being 21, but now they put a specific date on that. So it's I think it's August 1st. Um, So if you're 45 days within August 1st of being 21, I think you're draft eligible. So you see, with COVID, um, you're seeing a lot of you know reclass high school guys, reclass high school guys, older 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 college players so they're they're all starting to come you know you see freshman eligible drafts you see sophomore eligible drafts and then with the COVID eligibility you know this kid's a june this kid's a a high school se- uh, a college senior but he's 25 years old so it's like it, it it's crazy COVID kind of threw everything for a loop with age and, and draft wise dang yeah, i didn't even think about that yeah because everybody got that extra year eligibility because of that um, yep. so talk about like, how did, did you know, like when you were a player, did you always think you had a good eye for, for talent? And then did you think that that would eventually translate to the scouting game? I'm just curious how, like, how you knew that, like, m- Hey, maybe, maybe scouting and having an eye for development is something that I could do. Yeah. So I, I mean, from my growth as a baseball player, I always liked helping others. I always liked helping my teammates. Uh, I was always talking about baseball and, and I was always talking about their college experience in pro ball. Um, and then throughout college, like, you know, the coaches aren't always around you. So the guys that get you better are your teammates because they're around you the most. Um, you know, from when I started thinking about what I was going to do as a career in my life uh, after baseball and transitioning into it, you know, I wanted to be in baseball. I wanted to stay in it. So I got into the travel baseball world where I could develop kids, um, you know, I'm working with kids, private lessons from nine to 18. 
into college and professional guys. Um, and then I'm, I'm watching players from high school to college. So it's just, you know, it, it's been a blessing to me. And I've been very, very lucky, lucky. And, um, you know, I just, I think I, I'm, I'm not the best at it, but I'm getting better at the development side of it. And, um, there's always so much to learn and with social media these days, you can just see a bunch of, of, of things and a bunch of guys that will help you with development. And then you can see a bunch of guys play throughout you know, the country. That's a great point. I didn't, yeah. Cause with social media now, like anybody who wants to get their highlights out there can. And I imagine when like you were coming up and like your scouting experience, like what, what, what did that look like from your end? Like what was it? What was your scouting experience like? Uh, yeah, it, it's oh, it's totally different now. You know, there's a lot of, I think there's a little too much video going out on the social media and stuff. Uh, and I think there's a little, there's, there might be some too, too much events for amateurs where there's kind of overexposure, um, you know, but there's my scouting story was I just played travel baseball in Georgia. Um, you know, I, I did a couple showcases, a couple events, um, uh, I did the East Coast Pro Era Coach from a professional standpoint, and then I just got recruited to Florida. Um, he came to one of my games in Georgia, saw me pitch. I went on a visit there. Um, you know, I went on a couple other visits. He saw me pitch again. Uh, Sully did when he was recruiting, and then uh, you know they offered me. Other teams offered me, and uh, you know I I went from there. How do you think, or how have you seen the scouting profession evolve over the years? Because one of my favorite movies is Moneyball, and that room where all the scouts are sitting together talking about the guy's girlfriend and lack of confidence. Like, I imagine that was pretty common 20 years ago, but like, I'm wondering how it's kind of evolved since then. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, well, you can get a lot of information on kids throughout their social media. Uh, you can see kind of, you know, what type of person they are. And, um, you know, it, it, I always tell the kids that I work with to be careful what you post. Um, and then you can do a lot of background checks on these kids. You know, you can talk to their, their friends' parents. You can talk to, you can talk to their schools. You can talk to the guidance counselor. You can talk to anybody. Um, there, there's just so much, you know, so much potential to learn on kids for the good and bad. So it's, it's, it's scary to really think about. You can't really fathom how much information you can collect on a person. I love that. So uh, you mentioned one of the kids that you worked with that, that was taken with the twins. How, so who are some of the other kids that you, you've worked with, you've scouted that have gone on to either be drafted or, you know, picked up by a club there? Um, scouting. I'm not, I haven't had one yet because I did a, I got hired in February. So the last year was my first year. So next year will be my first year's draft. Um, a couple kids that have got drafted. Amari has got drafted. Um, you know, Eric Snow, a kid, he went to the combine. He didn't get drafted. Uh, he'll play pro ball at some point. Uh, Riley Stanford, Parker Brocious. There, there's a bunch of kids that, you know, I've been around uh, that, that will get an opportunity to play professional baseball for sure. And then their time will come. Um, you know, Chase Dollander is on our scout team in high school. I think, you know, he's projected probably top 10 pick next year. Uh, oof, these names, they're, they're, they're all over the place, but. Yeah, Dollinger is definitely a name that's going to get popped up pretty quick next year. 
love that. I'll have to keep an eye on that. It, it's cool because, like, you know, I do this with football where, like, I like watching college just so I can follow them to the pros. But I feel like more people need to do that with baseball. Like, you know, I think college baseball is getting bigger and, and obviously that that whole circuit. But I, I think that might might be just as much fun. Like, hey, you know, here's this kid. He might be the next, you know, Mike Trout or whatever. So I think I think that yeah. from that aspect, we need to get better at that as fans. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of baseball, like, fanatics that do do that. Uh, you know, Andrew Jones' kid just got drafted. You know, his social media was was insane before he even got followed. Like people were texting and, and tweeting and you know Instagramming, and it was crazy. Tamar Johnson's another one, and both those guys were top ten picks. So it's like it it is. It's just to the like it, it's not as big. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's but it's tough. It's tough. Baseball will will get there. It's uh, such a high paying sport. We'll see where the future lies. I love it. All right. Well, do you still keep up with the pros? Like I have a couple generic, like league wide baseball questions for you to kind of wrap this up. Yeah, kind of. Um, oh, my, so my life right now has been kind of crazy busy with transitioning into a new company uh, that I'm buying a house. So it's been, it's been all over the joint right now. It's all right. But I've, been, I've been checking. I, I follow the Mets mostly. Well, this one, this is a good one then. So uh, in terms of the best pure stuff from a pitching standpoint, I mean, obviously, Jacob DeGrom is probably up there, but I've been watching a lot of Dustin May, and I had the hot take that May has better stuff. Who, who would you say has the best pure stuff right now in baseball? Uh, DeGrom. It's not even close. It, it's, it's, and that's not just because he's a net. When Jacob DeGrom's healthy, um, you know, he, he's – it's pretty special. The kid Strider as well uh, is, is really yeah. – like, he's, uh, he's kind of came out of nowhere. You know, DeGrom, though, has got that low slot – low to high fastball with carry and then he throws that 93 slider off and he doesn't even really throw his change up a curveball he just he's a two-pitch guy in the big leagues which is insane edwin diaz too i had no idea he could reach back and touch 103 like i knew he yeah. threw hard but i'm like that's insane so i i don't know you know i, I it looks like diaz and degrom or someone has kind of you know it could be hefner hefner does a really good job he's a really cool guy uh, the pitching coach for the Mets. It kind of looks like Diaz has kind of mirrored what Jabron is doing. That fastball away, up and down, and throwing that slider off. It's just getting so much swing and miss. I mean, his K rate, I haven't checked it in a while, but his K rate probably around 45, 50%, which is, it, it, you can't even fathom. You can't even fathom that as a, as a fan. Like, it, this is in the big leagues, too. Yeah. Oh, so as as a Mets guy, like, what what do you think it'd come playoff time? Like, you know, Degrom, Scherzer. We just talked about Diaz. Like, is this the kind of team you think would hold up through a deep playoff run? Yeah, I mean, they, they just—it's it, weird. They're they're such a good team, and they just—you never know when they're, they're down. Like, they're they eighth inning, ninth inning, seventh inning. They they just find ways to win games. You know, playoffs is a different animal, but with Degrom and Scherzer, I I I see them making a deep run. They just beat the. Dodgers two out of three, so that was a huge series. Um, the Braves won't go away. Yeah, they're they're really talented, um, and they're going to get Ozzy back here, so it's gonna it's gonna be tough. But I think they're in a good situation when uh, go deep in the playoffs for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that that Mets Dodgers felt like a playoff series in late August, and I was like, this is the most fun I think I've had watching baseball in a while. Um, yeah. And in terms of robot umpires, though, I feel like that gets thrown around a lot. It might even be slowly creeping up on us. Would you be in favor of having robot umpires? I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I think it takes away from the game of baseball. 
Um, I don't like it. I've seen that kind of the pitch challenge thing in, in the minor leagues. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think there, I think, you know, a lot of rule changes and, and stuff going into it. I think you just got to let the game be at the game. And I think they just need to promote the best players a little bit more. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, again, as a fan's perspective, I'm watching some of these umpires miss six inches off the plate and call it a strike. And I'm sure like the hitters don't like it. And then the fans don't like it. Cause it's like, well, we're just getting screwed out of, out of plate appearances here. So I, yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you follow it's human error. It's everywhere in the world. It's human error. Um, so I don't think that's ever going to go away. Uh, but there's something I follow on Twitter. It's the umpire scorecards. These guys, man, these percentages that they, they have, they're pretty damn good. They might miss a couple calls, yeah, but they're they're pretty damn good. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy to see some of these guys score out every night. Obviously, they're going to make mistakes, but, you know, sometimes a hitter, not only – a hitter can hit a ball out over the park, over the fence when the ball's in the dirt. Like Vlad Guerrero used to hit them all the time. Uh, junior hits them. They don't always hit the ball that's right down the middle, inside, outside, up, down, in the zone. They can hit home runs and get hits that the balls are outside. So it's that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Also, that, that Twitter account is crazy because they do all 30 games, like every umpire, and I'm just like, they must have a staff of hundreds, it feels like. Yeah, I don't – some of these – I don't know how they do it. They have to have a lot of people on staff for sure. That are just moderate games. <laughs> so that's a, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, that's every single night. But uh, the last one I have was that uh, we put this on our social media a while ago. It was Bill Ripken talking about why the league-wide batting average is down. I don't know if you saw this or not. He said it's not because of this crazy of velocity. He said he thinks it's because of all the hitters who have the mindset of it's okay if you go 0 for 4 because if you get you know a fifth plate appearance and you hit a home run, it'll make it all worth it. Like, do you, do you see why, like, or can you kind of theorize why the league average will be down? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's more, uh, you know, guys trying to put the ball in the air a little more. Um, it, it's tough. The pitching has gotten better. Um, the analytics and the data from both ends, I think, I think the pitching's a little more advanced than the hitting side of it. Uh, I think they're kind of learning how to get guys out faster than how guys are supposed to hit these guys, but the scouting report. You know, you see so much scouting report. Everything is starting to transition back to sinker slider down in the zone. And then it was it was high vert, carry fastballs, um, you know, you know, tunneling off that pitch. So these hitters can adjust. They can adjust. And then these pitchers have to adjust. It's, it's baseball. It's, it's a game of adjustments. It's not easy. Uh, it's, it's really not easy, especially at that level. Uh, it's not easy. So, I mean. Everyone's trying to find a way to be better at, at at their personal, you know, job. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a, a, an answer for that. I just know that if you're facing Jacob Degrom, you're probably going for four. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. I like the pitcher side of it because yeah, because yeah, Bill Ripken is the hitter who sees it from a different perspective. And then you obviously bring the pitcher side of it. Um, yeah, I do think the pitching is probably a little bit more advanced than what the hitters have going on though, right? Yeah. Well, it's like it's kind of like. It, the third time up, hitters get better off that that starter, right? That's kind of the knowledge of it. So, 
I don't know why why aren't these hitters does the kid's stuff change from video because you're seeing it from a visual so I don't, it, it's tough I, I can't answer that question I've never been in the box of in it so I, I can't I, I've seen pitching and I know I know hitting is hard and I know pitching's hard and I know baseball's hard um, and these guys make it look so easy uh, there's always going to be arguments for this I mean that's kind of what gives people jobs it's, it's awesome it's it's baseball it's a beautiful sport man it's the best. And this playoff yeah. season, it's going to be the best, too. I feel like this would be the best playoff we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any predictions. I just hope the Mets win. <laughs> I love it. Well, dude, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, best of luck with, with the underclass scouting with the Mets. And, and what was the other team you said you were working with? It was The like, TGD uh, backs. Yes. Okay. I'll be keeping up with you doing all that stuff. So, yeah, like I said, best of luck, dude. And we'll have to get you back on when Brian's here because he's his Japan schedule is, is bananas right now. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Man, it's a grind. That's a grind. But I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I love it, dude. Well, hey, best of luck. And we'll you know, talk soon. Awesome. Thank you.